Oh, today's a good day. It's Resurrection Sunday, and if that doesn't get excited, I don't know what is. Maybe it's the hot cross buns that are awaiting outside, or the mountains of chocolate eggs and bunnies and bilbies and whatever else you might have. If you don't have enough chocolate, we can give you some. People keep giving me chocolate for Easter, and I just sit there and look at it and go, why? Um, I have still got, I still got a chocolate egg from last year. And I've decided that all the chocolate eggs that were given to me, or the bunnies that were given me to this year, are going in storage. And they will be there next year. Mel's, but no, no. No, they will be locked up into a case, put into a proper bag. It will be see-through case, and stuck on the highest shelf. With a special anti-Mel tamper system with a security alarm linked to a camera, to my phone. (laughs) It's all funny games. But I want to ask you a really interesting question. If Jesus walked in the room right now, sat down right next to you, would you know it's Jesus? Would you? It's an interesting question because I ask it myself. I mean, because Jesus didn't actually look like the way we expect. You know, we see in, uh, depends on how old you are, certain movies, that he had perfectly straightened hair, that he was white Caucasian, his beard was manicured, he wore, even though they were supposed to look like rags, they would look like the latest thing. But there was, like, when you get into the whole concept of, of historical accuracy and understanding, there's a high chance, really high chance, that Jesus wasn't white. Actually, he would have been really, really dark skinned. And there's a possibility that Jesus was even black, which throws our concept out. So, what, what would he look like if he was here, if he was standing before you, if he was seated next to you? What's our image of Jesus? How do we picture him? What's our expectation of what he looks like? Who is Jesus? Do we recognize him by what he looks like or what he is? And that begins to unravel questions inside of me and it should unravel questions inside of you. When people meet us, How do they know it's Jesus? Is it just the words, there's something different about you? I can't put my finger on it. Do they recognize you by that? Or do they just think of you as a normal, everyday person? Because if Jesus died on the cross, he rose from the dead, and we've accepted him, there has to be a change within us. Like this body you see in me, this is how you recognize me from a long distance. But this is not me. This is just my body. When I die, and I go to be with the worms, who I am, my spirit, my soul, actually rises. It does not stay there. It does not stay in that body. And if you've ever seen a dead body, maybe you've seen a, gone to a funeral, 
They don't look right. And I don't actually recommend people actually seeing the body or doing open coffins, open caskets, mainly because it's not the person they remember. And it's better to remember a person as you remember them than what you might see them as. But that's each and all, and, and different people grieve in different ways. So what I look like, this is just my body, but this is not who I am. I am not what I do, I am who I am. And so that sparks a train of thought, who is Jesus? And that's why I asked the question, if Jesus walked in the room and sat right next to you, would you know? Would you know? When he appeared on this earth as a baby, born through someone who, who realistically, if you, you can, there's a whole other message. When God chose Mary to carry the Son of God, now you think about that for instance, right? Sometimes we think our tasks are massive. You think about carrying the Son of God through the culture of the day. That's a task. But who knew it was Jesus inside of her? I mean, when Elizabeth, her cousin, came in vicinity of her and she was pregnant, her baby leaped. That just happened to be John the Baptist, the forerunner for Jesus. See, God is actively seeking, not the qualified, not those who have all the dots, not all the letters after your name. He's looking for those who will carry what he gives them. But what does it look like when we carry what God's given us? What does it look like when we carry Jesus and fulfill his plan? Or try to fulfill his plan or walk it out? What does it look like when Jesus changes us? Who do we become? See, perhaps you've never thought like this, and I've got to be honest with you, I'm a bit of a weird thinker. I'm a bit of a deep thinker. I like to ponder things. I like to sit and stew and mellow in things. I like to ponder the things of God because I'm curious. So it got me thinking that how can a person like Mary, and we know she was very, very young, carry the Son of God in the way that she did. And people still didn't recognize what she was carrying. And when, when Jesus was 12 and he was found in the temple, remember when his parents had lost him or his, he had disappeared on them? And they found him in the temple and he was listening and talking to the other the rabbis. They did not know it was the Messiah. At Cana, when he turned water into wine, when Mary said, you're supposed to go do this, Jesus, and Jesus said, it's not my time. Now, he had disciples at that point in time. But did they know who he was, or did they just respond to a call? When he started his public ministry, when he started teaching, and started doing miracles and signs and wonders and all the miraculous things that took, took place, it angered the religious I mean, the general people of the day had their mixed positions on who Jesus was. 
Some believed that he could be the possible, the son of God or the Messiah, the promised one, and others did not. Some hated him. And some came to him to see what they could get from him. Now last week we looked at when Jesus entered into the city of Jerusalem and the people's response to them, hoping and praying, believing that he was the coming king that would save them from their oppression. But today marks the day when Jesus actually rose from the dead, when they came to an empty tomb. But what is, what is required of something of someone to actually who actually believes in Jesus. What happens to you internally? What happens to your heart? Now, none of us are perfect. None of us. Not one single person here. You will fall. You will make mistakes. Praise the Lord for the grace of God. But when they see us, when they meet us, when they come into the vicinity of us, when they talk to us, when they experience what we, what's supposed to be inside of us, what do they see? Do they see Jesus? See, I'm big on evangelism, but I have a different concept to evangelism. See, I think you should take Jesus wherever you go. You should preach Jesus wherever you go. And if necessary, use words. Because there should be something inside you that either that will cause a reaction in another person. Now I've been in a workplace where for the oddest reason I've never met this person but they have hated me and made it their, ob their job to do me harm. And when my boss came and started talking to me I said, I've never even met them. I've never done anything about them. I don't know anything about them. And he's like, well, why is the problem? Well, I couldn't tell him at the time, but I knew what it was because of what I was carrying. And at the same point, I can cause a reaction in someone in a negative, I can cause a reaction in someone in the positive. Not by anything else, but by what I carry. And it begins to ask an interesting question. What do people see in us? When they turned up yesterday, and I don't know, we didn't count how many people, but some said a thousand, whatever it was. What they see in us? What was the purpose of yesterday? What was the whole process of what happened? I can tell you something, it impacted some people. It softened some people's hearts. For some others, it would have been just seed cast on the soil of their heart. Hopefully, believing, praying for, that those seeds will blossom. For some people, it would have fallen on the concrete. But yesterday was about reaching out into community and showing the love of Jesus. See, that's why we don't charge. Because it's not about money for us. If, I get, if we get one soul from it, it's worth it. If we don't see fruit from it for a little bit, it was still worth it. And we'll keep planting seeds. We'll keep pushing through. Because one day, the damn wall will break. But Jesus gives this really interesting illustration. And you've all heard it before. 
But he gives this, this illustration on hearing and action, which ends up equaling wisdom. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell. Hang on, let me get it. There we go. Built his house on the rock, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall. For it being founded on the rock, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house. And it fell, and great was it full. Now I want to give you a theological picture of this. It's got nothing to do with your house. And it's got everything to do with your life. If you learn to build your foundation on the Word of God, when the storms of life come, you will not fall. If you learn to build it on the rock, the rock of the revelation of Jesus Christ, you will not fall. If you build it on the sand, if you've ever built on sand, it's horrific. When the storms of life come, you'll fall. Your life will shatter. And what the world is looking for is looking for truth in what has been said. So when Jesus comes along, he lives what he says. And when our hearing and our actions line up, it equals wisdom. Now we can do all these lovely acts. We can preach the name of Jesus. We can do massive evangelism outreaches. But our life doesn't line up with their words. It's pointless. And to be truthful, it's just like what's happened in the last 50 odd years. See, I get frustrated. I get annoyed when I see certain things that have happened in the church years and years and years ago and they equal nothing now. And because what we're dealing with now, if you go and talk to the people in the community, is this anti-church mentality. Been there, done that, went once, didn't like it, went, load of rubbish, they just wanted my money. There's a whole bunch of other things yet said. Some are in the four-letter words. But that's what we are up against. And they can say whatever they want, but I'm still going to reach out and say, here is the love of Jesus that impacted my life, therefore I will give it out. See, I heard the words of Jesus, and now I'm putting action into those words. That's why we do the things we do. That's why we reach out to our community. That's why we do the funny things. That's why we convince Brad to wear a hot suit. Right? That's why we do those things. It's why we come up with different ideas. Like, I mean, seriously, where else can you go to throw a carrot? If you didn't know, Jacques won with a massive throw of 82.96 centimeters. It's a carrot. It's going to get so competitive in the years to come. 
People are going to train. People are gonna, seriously, we're going to have Olympic athletes turning up. I'm going to have to talk to Guinness World Records to turn up and do an official result so we can have an official, official distance and everything. It's going to get too serious, I think. No, no, that doesn't work. No, there's a whole science to throwing a carrot. And over the years I've been learning... And there's a story in the Bible that begins to implicate or begins to reveal the power of what Jesus actually does inside of us. And that trip is in the the road to Emmaus in Luke 24. And I'll give you a little quick rundown. This is after the death of Jesus and after the resurrection. And a couple of his disciples are Traveling to Emmaus. Now, where they were from Jerusalem to Emmaus is, it's not, you know, five minutes down the road. It was seven miles or 11 kilometers. That's not too far unless you're walking. And then 11 kilometers is a really good walk. But they're strolling along on this road to Emmaus. And it says in Luke 24, 13, And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Maez, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about what had happened, discussing the events, discussing what was happening, discussing what, was, what they were hoping. And Jesus approached them. Jesus approaches the men after the resurrection. And it says... But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And then he said to them, he said, What are these words that you were exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still looking sad. What were they saying that caused Jesus to say, What are you talking about? Why are you looking sad? I can only imagine these two gentlemen, they're walking around with disappointment at what had taken place. What they were hoping for was not what actually came about. What they were saying caused Jesus to ask, what are you talking about? And then he said this, what things? And they said to him the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty indeed in word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucify him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these all happened. We get to the same situation as when Jesus entered in the city. Their expectation was that Jesus was the king, And he was going to redeem Israel. He was going to remove the Roman cohorts and the leaders and save the people of Israel. And because they hadn't seen it happen in their time, they were leaving Jerusalem to go to Emmaus and they were sad. And they were talking about the things in a negative point. Saying, why didn't these things happen? Why didn't we see these things happen? Why didn't we see Jesus... Do this and this is what he said he would. 
Because Jesus talked about his kingdom. He talked about the fact that he would tear down the temple. That he would rebuild the temple. That he was coming to save mankind. But he was never once ever talking about on this earth. See, who you are is not what you do. But most people don't know. They don't know who you are until they get to know who you are. Now, we can make judgment calls, but we don't know who someone is until we go and talk to them and find out who they are. See, intimacy is really needed to get to know someone. It's an important tool. Now, notice when they say they were hoping that Jesus was going to redeem Israel, it's the same reason when he entered Jerusalem that made him weep. They didn't know who he was. Today, people come to Jesus with all the expectations that he will take away our problems. They do. I've talked to people. I was told this and I was told that. I was told he would do this and I was told this. It's like, no. Jesus never said that he would take away all your problems. Actually, if you want to be truthful, you get more. But what he does do is he becomes the power. He becomes the ability to move through those problems. And the more that we allow him in our lives, the more we understand this word and how he moves and what he does and what he suggests us to do or what he guides us to do and how we live our lives according to his word, the smaller the problems are easier to move through. And the bigger the problems, you can still get through. And the impact on our lives changes us. And when people get to know you, they know something's different about you. Because things change. Your attitude changes. Things change. Your demeanor changes. Your personality changes. See, people come to know Jesus... And they expect him to deliver them from their own stupidity. They do. Like there are consequences to our actions. And there are times that Jesus doesn't go, okay, well now that you're born again, I'm going to fix all these mistakes. And I'm going to fix all this and it will all be better. But sometimes it's us going through the consequences of our choices that enables us to actually get to know him more. Or to need him more. Because if you don't feel that you need him enough, or you don't need him more, then you have an experience to the point that you actually need to know him more. And you can expect good times ahead. Because what Jesus should be allowed to, able to us, for us to do is to go through whatever is before us. And never be shaken. And always turn to him. See, Jesus came for us to follow him to the Father. He came to set the path in motion to say, hey, this is how you get to the Father. This is the road. This is the way. This is the way you live. This is what you do. This is what you say. This is everything. This, just follow this road that I set before you. 
It's how we walk through the storms of life. It's how we get through the struggles. And when we go through our problems, when we go through our struggles, when we go through our storms, and we're constantly learning to turn back to him, say, Lord, I need you. I need you. Jesus, help me through this. What did you do? How did you get through something like this? Let's open the book. And it's those times of intimacy that are developing. So when I go through my hard times, I'm turning to him, I'm looking for the answer. That intimacy is built where transformation takes place because when you understand that you're actually built for transformation, you are designed function. Everything about you is designed to change. Then you have to ask the question, why? Why does God create humanity in such a way that the only way that we can actually change is through him? If we don't need him. When we have the wrong expectation of who God is, what he does in our lives, it sets us up for disappointment. And we look for the wrong things. We're looking for God to take away our problems rather than walk us through them. Now, I'm not saying God can't take them away because God can do anything. But oftentimes, it's walking through it that develops the growth in us. So we sit there and pray, God, take away the storm, when really our, our, our question should be, how do I get through this storm with you, God? It's like I'm, I'm looking for Brad, the plumber, and getting disappointed that Brad is not a plumber. I'm not saying that Brad can't do plumbing, but he's not a qualified plumber. So when I'm looking or I have the wrong expectations on God, I'm setting myself up for disappointment. Then I'm sitting there, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you move in this situation? Why didn't you do this in the way that I thought you or wanted you to? Let me tell you why. Because he's God and you're not. And when we want God to move in a situation in our lives according to how we want, we're actually looking for a genie in a bottle and not a God to serve. And that is a huge difference. God is not here to do your bidding. We are here to do his. Based upon relationship. See, Jesus rose from the dead to conquer death. To conquer the separation of sin. And therefore, whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. A new life. But you've got to understand the concept of what actually falls behind the word of belief. See, belief is not just, I believe. Belief actually has a two-part meaning to it. It's, I believe, I stand in faith, but then I have action. It's my belief that causes me to move. It's my belief in Jesus rising from the dead that actually causes me to then move in that new life. 
We don't get new life to sit still. We get new life to move. Because this world is in need of new life. And they need to see it in action. They need to see it every single day. See, I can't reach out to everyone you know. And God can't, well, he can, put it this way, he uses people. right? I'm not here to reach the whole world. I'm here to reach the world that has surrounded me. And then if I can reach the world that is surrounding me and make a difference in the world that surrounds me, then I can make a difference in your life or have impact in your life. And then you can reach the people that are surrounding you. And then you can re- the other person can reach another person. And how we reach them is by going back to the Word, allowing Jesus to work inside of us. That His Word becomes our Word. I have to skip a few scriptures. And I have to find it. And he said to them, he said, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all the things that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Can you imagine today if Jesus rocked up and he became your buddy? And you spent time with him, you lived with him, you did all these crazy things with him, you know, just you and Jesus. And all of a sudden he turns around and goes, now I've got to tell you something. They're going to kill me. They're going to take me out. You're like, no. We'll be a Peter. No, Father, they will not. I'll stand in the way. I'll get a sword and cut someone's ears off. But it's one thing to believe that he is the son of God and it's another thing for to let him be the son of God. But in order for Jesus, we actually had to die for us in order to be our deliverer. Now you have to ask this question. When Jesus has to explain to you, it means you missed it. The amount of times that I've had to read over Scripture because I missed it. The amount of times that I had to let God speak to me because I missed it. Sometimes God allows me to make a mistake and so I go back to him and says, God, what happened? And the words are, you missed it. And it's not a point of time of getting depressed. It's a point of going, okay, now I need to hear more. See, I can only imagine what it was like to see Jesus going through what he did on that cross. But the way that Jesus spoke to it, it was so normal for him. It would have been so confusing. How can someone speak of a situation so normally before us that is so horrific to us? See, God, grasp, oh, I'll try again. Trying to grasp God's way can be tough. We have a need. We pray and ask God to move in it. We stand hoping, believing, praying. We might even get a little bit loud, a little bit crazy. And then perhaps, perhaps in our time, 
or even ever, we may not see it happen. And then we are left trying to explain it. Why are we trying to explain it? Why are we trying to reason for it? Obviously, it wasn't in God's plan. Sometimes bad things just happen. We live in a sinful world. And our bodies break down. And sometimes they even give in. And our eternal hope isn't in this body. Thank goodness, right? Because inflation hits this body pretty bad, right? Easter time, everyone puts on a few, or the inflation comes in. And you have to find a way to decrease inflation. So you lift up interest rates on what increased. Anyway, it's a whole other story now. But sometimes bad things just happen. Sometimes we make mistakes. We live in a fallen world. And our greatest example to the world, our brightest light, is not when our lives are perfect. Not when our lives are just amazing. You know, you hear all these stories. Jesus spoke to me. He was so audible. He just loved on me. My kids are perfect. My wife is perfect. All the bills are perfect. She says, my husband is perfect. Our greatest and brightest light will never occur in our glory. It will always occur when people see Jesus in us going through our worst situation. The greatest glory that ever took place on Jesus' life was not when he was performing a miracle of making the food grow. It was when he was going through the cross. The most powerful thing in Jesus' life was not that he made water into wine. Although sometimes we get stuck on that. It was he that he, it was he, that he bore it all for us. He went through the most excruciating pain. The mockery. The humiliation. The pain. Oh, the overwhelming pain. And yet he did it all for us. His greatest and brightest light wasn't when he was doing all the good things that everyone else wanted him to do. It's when he was walking in obedience with his father. And so it is with us. Our greatest and brightest light isn't in our best moments when we're just achieving so many things. Although we have a tendency to celebrate those things. It's when we're walking through the ickies and the gross and the horrifying and the heartache and the painful. And we don't know how to get through it other than I just keep going to God. I just keep going to Him. I just keep asking out, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. I just keep going back to his word. I just keep going back to my prayer closet. I just keep worshiping God because he's the only one that can help me get through this. 
And then when people ask you and go, how did you do this? How are you doing this? Him. That's my source. I got nothing else. So you might be going through the valley of the shadow of death. But your faith is in Jesus. He'll get you through. Because it's hope in Him that becomes an anchor for our soul. That holds us emotionally. That holds us connected to Him. Because that's the whole purpose of being a new life or having a new life. In Hebrews 6, 17, 19, it says, In the same way God, desiring even more to show the heirs of the promise of the unchangeable of His purpose, interposed with an oath, so that by two un unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge, who have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us, this hope that we have as an anchor of our soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil. Now some of the Bible isn't in plain English of the 21st century. But the veil is what separated the Holy of Holies to the holy place. And then what separates us from the new life with Him. But because of what He did, we now have the ability to enter past the veil. Because when He died on the cross, the veil of the temple was torn from corner to corner. A feat not done by man's hands. See, God can do all things and nothing is impossible for Him. He's the creator of the universe. He's spoken to being. He can do whatever He needs to. And He always fulfills His will. He always fulfills His promises. He always fulfills His purpose. And our faith and our hope needs to be in who He is. Because He is the King of kings and He is the Lord of lords. He rose from the dead for purpose. And I know Christians who prayed things expecting God to move and they didn't. Or He didn't in the way that they were expecting. And they got disappointed and today they're no longer in church. I know people who call themselves Christians but you haven't seen them in church for years. But I prayed. I asked, I got on my knees, I fasted. But I don't see God moving. There are those who have asked and they never received and so they no longer ask. They no longer believe. But God always reveals himself. Jesus walked most of the way with those two men. He talked with them. And even when life didn't turn out the way they were expecting, Jesus was there listening and he was walking with them. He never le left them. He never forsake them. Two men walking away from where it all happened, despondent about life, and Jesus was right there with him. 
So we too can have that similar story. We can ask those questions, where is God? The truth is, He is right there with us, even when we don't recognize Him. And when He reclined at the table with them, He took the bread and blessed it and breaking it. He began giving it to them and their eyes were opened and they recognized Him and He vanished from their sight. Can you imagine walking 11 miles or 11 kilometers with Jesus, not knowing it's Jesus? And it's only when he does something right there in front of you and lets you see him that you go, oh, he was there the whole time. He was there the whole time and I didn't even know it. I can count so many times, oh my gosh, the amount of times I can count that, where I thought I was alone walking through certain things and then Jesus shows up and you're like, what? when did you get there? He says, I was there all the time. I never left you. I never forsake you. Jesus performed a task they understood. Remember? In the upper room. Communion. And their eyes were open. They saw Jesus. They saw the new life that he had. Because he was in a resurrected body, not the body before the crucifixion. They didn't recognize who was standing before them. See, you can look at me and you can see my body. But I am not what you see. Who I am is so much more. Who I carry is so much more than what you see before you. See, I'm born again. I'm a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. There are some of the old things I still carry that I am learning to deal with and let go of and replace with the new. I'm letting Jesus fill what is empty. My body doesn't change, but who I am does. Salvation will change you. Because salvation is an invitation for the Father to commune with you and an invitation for transformation. To invite the Holy Spirit to work in me and to go along the path and say, I'm going to the Father. The evidential, that's a new word I created, the evidential change within a person powered by the power of the cross is the expression of the love of, cross, of the cross. I'll read that again because it can be a little bit confusing. The evidential change within a person powered or fueled by the power of the cross is the expression of the love of the cross. What God does inside of us and the more he does inside of us, actually becomes the external work of the love of the cross. You and I, well, hopefully you are saved. Hopefully you do know him. But if you don't, I'm going to give you an invitation. Because I can tell you, from absolutely personal experience of the power of the cross, the power of his word, the power of his spirit, it will change you, it will transform you, and all you have to do is surrender. That is the biggest and hardest thing that we have to do. I'm going to pray and I'm going to close the meeting. If you want to get to know Jesus or you want to experience who He is, and I'll be down the front. If you want prayer, I'll open up the altar. You can come down, I'll pray for you. But this is Resurrection Sunday, people. 
This is a day that every Christian should be celebrating, rejoicing that He is risen, that the tomb is empty. And if you're not, crack an egg open and look how empty it is because that's what the tomb is. It's empty. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that there is a wonder-working power in the cross, in your blood, and in the empty tomb. I thank you that you have resurrected life inside of each one of us. I speak transformation upon all those who receive. I speak the name of Jesus over our situations, into our situations. I speak your name. I speak salvation in this community. I speak the light to shine bright. I speak transformation. I speak the power of your name. God, have your way in this week. Speak to us, guide us, and direct us in all that we do. Cover us with your blood. Cover us with your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.